0: whatever you want to do
1: yeah um yeah this is this is better i think actually when i was a kid i had a fascination with victorian backboards for the purpose of posture improvement
2: oh wow Um, what's a victorian backboard
1: um like girls used to be strapped to these boards like just tied to a board so that you had to sit up really straight yeah um yeah i never got one um I did try to create my own corsetry for a while, but that also failed. So, wait—is
0: this from—is this from, is this from uh, the Victorian era? Presumably, is when this started. A Victorian backboard. I mean, it did
1: not start, but yes, backboards, sure. But I was just like really into Little Women too, and they were, you know, fascinated with like the cinching of their waists. So,
2: so it's like it's like the the Chinese binding of feet, right? Similar sort of concept of of.
1: I mean similar corsets were generally very unhealthy, like the original ones, but um, they loosened up with time.
2: Mm. And so the backboard is just something in the corset somehow?
1: How does no, that no, work? no. Like a backboard, like a little girl who's in school, like while just doing schoolwork, I would like be tied to a thing to sit up straight. Wild. Not like all day long. But, but only maybe. girls? They
2: wouldn't do that to guys?
1: <laughs> uh, no. Huh. Sad. I mean, I feel like
2: I would have benefited from a backboard myself i have terrible posture yeah look at you now yeah look at me i'm hunched over like a (laughs) he's a hunchback hunchback yeah anyway uh i mean welcome christine good to have you
1: yeah thanks thanks for having me on guys
2: yeah for sure we're
0: very excited about this but we were worried we should just tell our listeners that we had some um we didn't hear from you for a little while on your way here so we actually had a conversation about whether or not you got you got into a biking accident and we were worried and we thought that we'd like, we'd have something to do with that. Let's say that you actually, um, something happened to your bike while you were coming to do this podcast, then, like, we'd be implicated and we'd feel guilty. So we're very happy that you're here and that work, and that all that wow. worked out.
1: You're really attributing a lot of importance to yourself with, <laughs> <laughs> with that statement. It, it could just be that I'm bad at bicycling.
2: Well, I mean, we invited you here. I mean, don't you think, I don't think that's self-importance, is it? Like, in a sense, it's just like, if a friend is coming over and then the friend gets hit by a bus, I'd feel a little bad about that if I invited a friend over. I don't think that's like, it's not like, I'm not, I'm not attributing godlike powers to me that like I.
1: No, you should definitely blame the bus at that point. Um, but I would feel bad. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's fair. I mean, I actually I just said that to stake out my position, which will be uh, making fun of Shadi for the rest of <laughs> oh however God. long this lasts.
2: So. Oh wow. Yeah, that's new. That's uh, a new thing. Yeah, we're not used to that. We're not used to, to <laughs> making fun of. We're used the whole to my
0: day. godlike status on the podcast as one of the great co-hosts, and then our guests come and they're very deferential and very careful with what they say to to me and Demir. So this is definitely a nice change of pace. Wow. We did have the former. I'm honored Georgian- to be
1: elevated into this. Uh- <laughs> no, we are
0: joking because we we did have the former uh, Georgian president. Um, so that you know, we had a former head of state. So you're that, you're now in the pantheon of these amazing figures who have been on the podcast.
1: Yeah. Wow, thank you. If you were going to appoint me head of state, which,
0: which oh, country which, would it be? Okay, this seems like a trick question.
1: <laughs> no, I just want to know
0: um, uh, of like any state where you. I think you do a good job.
1: It no, doesn't I, have to I be a I good understand. job. Who cares? Who does a good job? Yeah.
0: Um, Women,
1: actually. There you go. Is that what it is? So then Seems it's, you like know it what? right now. I actually
0: think that uh, the Gambia would be um, appropriate. Because, yeah. because
1: a- I'm black? <laughs> oh, my
2: God. Watch, watch the microphone, Shadi. Don't break it. Come on.
1: <laughs> that oh was so God. easy to avoid, Shadi. Yeah.
2: No, actually, it's
0: because the Gambia is a democracy, it's one of the few um, fairly successful democracies um, in in um, well, I guess there's more now in sub-Saharan Africa and Africa altogether. I mean, but why um, does she need
2: to be a, a democrat? I, I could see Christine as a, as a totalitarian, you know, like lining people up. I think. <laughs>
1: Benevolent ruler.
2: Benevolent, sure. I mean, of course. I mean, when you're when you're when you're uh, omnipotent, you're obviously benevolent. No one can possibly question you. See, that's
1: the attitude I want to see more. Uh, yeah. Shoddy.
2: Okay.
0: I was going to say, there's one more thing about the Gambia that is not very well known. It is a Muslim majority country, so I like it because I'm I am I'm a Muslim chauvinist of some sort occasionally. So it's a it's a democracy and it's Muslim majority and it's small and not a lot of people know about it. I think all those are good things. So
2: why
1: should Have Christine, that, why, are you, why, yeah, are you, why
2: are you relegating Christine to some unknown country? I should, we should clarify. Muslim and small Muslim a lot Muslim of
1: people don't know about, know about it. it. I'm not Muslim either. Just because
2: she's black, Shadi, it's not I fair.
1: think I'm like medium sized at least. <laughs> yeah.
0: We should clarify that this is not a way for me to say that Christine is Muslim. She's not. Her name is Christine, which would suggest some affiliation with Christianity. So I just want to be careful. Because is that how it
1: works? No.
0: Yeah. Wait, there is no one named Christian who is not Christian that I've ever met? There's no... And no no, Chris. No Muslims called Chris? No, no. Chris the Muslim? (laughs) There was this funny story about, like, this one Jewish guy named Muhammad, and it was like a really funny... There's just, like, one guy named Muhammad who's Jewish.
2: Where? In the
1: world? Um, I can't remember. In the Gambia,
0: probably. (laughs) Well, this is some very good material, um... But before we get too much into this, we should actually give a proper official welcome to Christine Emba. Yes. uh, Of the Washington Post. Since we did not prepare for this at all, I actually don't know what your title is. You're a friend, so, I mean, you shouldn't know the exact titles of your friends because that would be a little bit weird. But um, she was a columnist at the Washington Post. Uh, She's still sort of a columnist, I guess.
1: I'm I'm still a columnist. (laughs)
0: Okay, but to be fair, from what I understood last time we had we had dinner, is that um, y- your columns are not regular, and you're you're now taking time off to focus on your book project, which um, I don't know how much we can say about it, and maybe our readers will get a glimpse of the topic for the first time here anywhere ever ever. <laughs> um, not sure that's true uh, either. Shadi uh, unfortunately,
1: go that's not true. Yeah. Can,
0: can I say even like a word about the topic? Okay, it's about sexual ethics. Yes. Which we support here.
2: I mean, I, I mean, we'll need to discuss it. I don't know. I guess no, we supp- supposed- I suppose.
0: Mean, no. What sexual ethics? Anyway, well, let's leave that aside. No, I mean, we support being ethical about sex. Sexually ethical. Yes, yeah. sure. But we can get into all of this. <laughs> um, we also had a funny conversation um and uh, you know, oh, feel free to actually mention the title and when it's coming out if you want to actually like put just so people know to pre-order. I don't know if it's at that level yet.
1: Yeah, no, it's it's not at the pre-order level yet, but it should be coming out next July. Actually, oh. um, published by Penguin. Oh wow! Great. Wow, congrats! Um, you
0: heard it here, guys.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, it is tentatively titled "Rethinking Sex." Um, and please don't ask me how it's going because I am still working on it. Okay. Um, Wow. Yes. I'm still a columnist at the post and also an ideas editor. I kind of fluctuate between the two roles. Yeah. So.
0: Great. Great. And we also, while we were were, uh, waiting for you talking, we had another conversation where we were like, okay, um, we just hang, hung out with Christine a couple of weeks ago and how is she woke or not. Like I was trying to remember how that conversation worked out. And then I'm like, well, I think, you know, Christine's kind of somewhere in the middle. Like she's very, she's very thoughtful and she likes to appreciate contrasting viewpoints. But then Demir was like,
2: no, um, no, I think the dinner, <laughs> she was doing what she swore to do right now is just make fun of you the whole time. I think that was, that was the way that was working. You're welcome. Yeah. Um, well, no, so let me, let me intercede, yeah. though. I mean, here's a, here's a different way, Christine. I, I, I think I, I, first, I, I think I met you at like Ben Haddad's party a, years ago. Uh, but before that, I just noticed that someone working at the Washington Post got the Novak Fellowship. And I was like, wow, that's weird. Yeah. So I don't know. Maybe let's start <laughs> with that rather than jumping into woke stuff. It's like, I mean, Novak Fellowship more or less is like a, a right wing, uh, you know, a trust fund sort of, project right um and so i thought that was really interesting and you know i i i remember like because i had several friends who were novak fellows before and so i you know i, I saw that you know your book topic and i was like okay that sort of makes sense but like i don't know tell me about that at least and maybe by way of talking about i don't know how you what what where do you where do you feel comfortable politically on on very broadly you
0: know And if I could just add to that, I mean, I actually don't know where I would plot you as we like to do. We like to reduce people to their position on the political spectrum. And I was like, I actually don't know where I would plot Christine on the political spectrum. And it's really nice to know, to not know where, like what your friends actually are. There's something like really, because DC, everyone's like trying to label, people ask you at parties, like right when you enter, oh, what do you do? Where do you work? All that bullshit. But we can become friends without knowing really certain things about the other person. That's really nice, I think.
1: Yeah, yeah. You can just plunk me down like right in the middle of the Gambia because you don't know anything else about me. Well, to be fair, uh,
0: we,
2: I mean, I do know that you're Nigerian American. Yes. <laughs> Why wouldn't you want to want her to lead Nigeria then? For I don't. Example? I don't
1: want to lead Nigeria. Honestly. No, because that's that,
2: that's reducing her to um to essentializing, but still you essentialized her in a different okay doesn't matter
1: <laughs> Shadi has a lot of talents
2: yeah essentializer is <laughs> one of them but anyway I, yeah I, I, so i don't know like I, how did you end up with novak and and was that was that a weird fit for you at all or was it just like it, it worked and it was you know hey uh they want to support my work i've got this project let's go
1: um it was it was like that i would say actually um you know i I'm constantly fascinated by the way that you guys use woke as a pejorative or like mm. a quasi-pejorative. No, it's pejorative. Told uh, so, it you. definitely is. Told you. Okay. Well, <laughs> so uh, on that level, I, I guess I don't want to identify myself as woke. I am using like little hand uh, quotation marks here. Um, but yeah, I think that I have also a word that I really am extremely over right now is heterodox. Mm. Um, but I actually do think that I have somewhat of a a heterodox positioning. Um, So before I came to the Washington Post, I've been at the Post for five years now, which is totally insane. And I've been in D.C. for five years now, which I just, I I can't think about too much uh, without falling into a deep despair. Um, Really? D.C., you know, I moved I moved from New York City to D.C., and I meant to just, like, be here for, like, a couple of months and then move back to New York City, which but, is a place that I love, and I'm
2: still in D.C. But you kind of like it, right? I mean, that's that's how these things work. It's like, yeah, you're like, oh,
1: my God, this is not even a city. But then you're like, oh. You know, I, I have a dishwasher here. Right. Which is something that I did not have in New York. Like right. a, a
0: personal dishwasher?
1: Yeah. Um, he's a butler, <laughs> actually. His name is Hans.
2: Hans. German dishwasher. Yeah, Yeah, he's so efficient
1: and quiet. It's amazing. (laughs) His last name is Bosch. Yeah,
2: Hans Hans Bosch, yeah.
1: (laughs) Um, But yeah, no, before I came to the Washington Post, actually, I worked um, at kind of a variety of places that when I tell people, they uh, find somewhat shocking. Um, So... When I graduated from college, I was like a consultant at a software company. Wow. realized very quickly that I did not care about selling units of software uh, and did care about ideas um, and clarifying them and sharing them and talking about them. So then I ended up at the Economist, um, the Economist Intelligence Unit, to be precise. Um, and then from there, I took a fellowship at the New Criterion Oh,
0: wow. I did not know that. Um,
1: yeah. Yeah. Small uh, reactionary, I would I would say, um, Arts and Culture Journal magazine in New York City. Um, and then from there, I came to the Post. So I've been kind of all over the map. I am Catholic. Uh, I converted uh, at the end of college. And I think through Catholicism, and especially like many of the Orthodox, extremely Orthodox Catholics I knew, um, during my conversion and still now, I was put in touch with, you know, the right um, and the conservative movement and still have like a lot of contacts and interest there. Um,
0: and the Post knew you th- knew that you were conservative when they hired you or that you had some conservative leanings and background? What
2: well, do you think the Post just says like... <laughs> it's like-
0: like, I
1: actually changed my name and my face, no, but like maybe i don't <laughs> know I was they probably don't even know post. what the new
0: criterion is. I know because like I have like a weird fetish for like small niche conservative, weird publications. And I are
2: friends, <laughs>
0: <laughs> but most people don't like the average Washington post like hiring person or editor would be like. Wait, what's first things? What's new criterion? That's actually not,
1: that's not fair, because actually, I think, I mean, they did know, because I had just finished my fellowship at the new criterion when uh, I was hired by the Post. Um, But I also would not identify as conservative. No, no,
0: but conservative, like background. It's fair to say that you had some conservative inputs. At well, that point in your life. Like
1: I said, I changed my name and my face through a secret plastic <laughs> surgery. Uh, but I kept my resume intact. So they did see that when they were hiring. I me. mean,
2: you know, it's not like it's not like Fred Hyatt is is uh, like a man of the left or anything like that. No, but does Fred Hyatt
0: like handpick people like that? If so, then I mean maybe that's the way it works. Um, How?
2: What do you mean? What pick? Also, what you, what like he does just
0: like mean? he's like. How like, reaches, oh, yeah. reaches making like
1: the- a weird no, hand no, motion that I don't love? Friend, friend,
0: no, no. I mean, like can't Like he just like picks. He like, just reaches into the new criterion, <laughs> pulls out raw
2: raw material,
1: brains dripping oh, wow. from his fingers. This is
0: definitely going to be a unique episode. Yeah. I, I'm feeling it I'm so already. I'm this is, this is good.
2: <laughs> anyway, uh, so. Shadi's weird misconceptions about hiring practices aside, so you you come in uh sort of well uh, i guess shaped to a certain extent and and like at home, but heterodox you're saying, which you're over now is this idea, but already you're 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 feeling uncomfortable even there like you're 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 i don't know
1: i mean when I went to the new criterion, it was. I was really interested in getting more hands-on experience just like with a magazine and with a journal, like laying out the pages, doing that hands-on editing with authors. And I did get that experience. Um, but you know, when I was there, I would say that it was not, it was not an ideological match mm-hmm. necessarily yeah. at all. Yeah. Um, but that in and of itself, I think was a real education and I found it useful. And I actually met like some very interesting and great people there. Um, looking Back on my time there, though, from from where I sit right now, it's it's hard to imagine uh, in some ways.
0: If yeah, you don't mind of me how, asking, how
1: I ended up there, but um, yes, go on.
0: no I mean, where would you say was the major ideological divergence? Like when you're looking back at your time there, where do you feel that you know, hey, this was difficult to kind of like get past this gulf?
1: Um, well, going back to your use of the word woke, right? Yeah. Um, I think that there there are some things that, you know, conservatives or people on the right, especially the right today, which is completely consumed with the idea of owning the libs and like yeah. not ever agreeing with anything that a Democrat says um, that are deemed woke, you know, say, admitting that systemic racism is real, um, that the new criterion was kind of there Um they had already sort of embraced some of these reactionary points of view that I, you know, actually strongly disagreed with then, and disagree with even more now. Um, they were like so, racism's
2: over, like we <laughs> solved it.
1: Uh, you know, not we've solved it, um, but certainly there were, you know, pieces I've had to edit, and you know, writers who I worked with or who that magazine worked with who would say things, and I was like, that's that's a lot. That's not true. Hmm.
0: But what's an example of know, something that you know, wouldn't go on. be true?
1: You know, the idea, say, that racism is over because President Obama was elected is, you know, that's not, that's false, actually. Is that actually a position
0: people had? <laughs>
1: it's like, a that's, position people still have, of course. That
0: seems a bit too, like, obviously wrong.
1: You would think so, and yet. Yeah.
0: Well, there was definitely this discourse, and and presumably while you were working there, that was in the Obama era, if I'm calculating correctly. It must have been actually five <laughs> years.
1: Yes. Yeah. Unless Tell you were one. at the
0: New Criterion in like 2007, which would be weird. I've been be in the New
1: Criterion for decades. <laughs> <laughs> I was born in the New Criterion. But, Christine um, looks young, but in fact, she's, she's
2: she's eternal. That's a thing. Thank
1: you. But look, I mean, I think
0: Obama contributed himself to this idea that he was a post-racial, post-ideological president. He liked the idea of postness. And he didn't, he didn't say that explicitly. He did say the ideological thing explicitly, but I think he did feed into this idea that America could transcend racial divisions and that he himself was an emblem of that.
1: Of course. I mean, Barack Obama campaigned on a message of hope, hope and change. And, you know, any well-adjusted person, I think, would be hopeful and would want to hope that racism in America could lessen and perhaps end. Um, you know, I'm not, Entirely sure, though, that he himself believed that he made that the case. I don't think if you talked to Barack Obama, he would have ever said, well, yeah, I was elected president because, in fact, people are not that racist. Racism is over. And so it's fine. Um, mm. What I do think, though, is that he felt a responsibility as, frankly, I would say almost all black people in public life do to some extent, um, to not talk about it too much, to try and leave it in the rearview mirror in some sense. Uh, so as not to alienate parts of the country right. uh, so that, you know, he was not necessarily causing more of a fervor than he needed to. Um, and that I think that sort of splitting is actually really common for minorities of any kind in public life. Shadi, I don't know if you felt this. I suspect that you have, even if you wouldn't admit uh, it. What? Um, you know, the idea that I mean, say you're Muslim you know, having to say, well, I'm not, I'm not like a, a radical Muslim, of course, you know, like, we all get along here, like, we can all get along, that it's over, everything is fine, you know, to make sure that you're not making people feel uncomfortable, that you're not causing some sort of conflict, that you're not stirring things up so that you yourself uh, are not put into a spotlight in a way that would be uncomfortable for you.
0: That's interesting, that you mentioned it, because I, I would actually say that a lot of my work in recent years has been about stirring things up rather explicitly to say that, you know, Islam is fundamentally different than other religions. Islam is not some fluffy, gentle thing that everyone's going to be chill with. And I've I've actually gone out of my way to say that it's not that. So I'm I'm not the, probably the best example for so, this case. Well,
1: so I would say that you have gone out of your way to make that point. Uh, but I'm I'm thinking about you yourself and your public persona. Uh, I'm Shadi Hamid. I work at the Brookings Institution. I am a responsible person who you can invite on your podcast or your panel any day of the week. Come on, Shadi. But does that have
0: to do with me being Muslim or does that have to do with me being someone who wants to be invited to other people's podcasts and publications?
1: Well, I think both. I think to make yourself palatable in the way that you will continue to be invited onto other people's panels, podcasts and publications often means not being a radical in a certain sense or an essentialist in a so, sense I will say this. Some things.
0: You're definitely right about like when I was in my more formative years in the 2000s. I remember that this was, I can't believe this actually happened, but it, it used to happen post 9 11 where you'd be at some gathering. I remember one in particular in Chevy Chase where um, these older white folks were talking to me at this reception and they seemed very impressed. I was articulate and intellectual, uh, and they were just like, Oh, wow, you, oh. they just seemed like very taken by me, right? And um, they said, I swear to God, you won't even believe this. They said, Oh my God, you, you seem so moderate.
1: <laughs> I believe that completely. But yeah, so, so, no
0: one would say. But thank God, and maybe this is where woke being awokened actually can be constructive. Is that I think people realize now that you're not supposed to say that. It would so, be weird.
2: Let me let that. me just ask though, Christine on on say Obama. Uh, I think you know in our, I mean, just also we've alluded to it before. Part of our like you know uh, this like reading group. That's Christine's part of it as well. And and you know we have like a Slack and we discuss some stuff. i you know, it's it's um, I posted that essay by Nils Gilman about the end of racial liberalism that was talking about, I don't know if you got a chance to read it, but it's talking about basically, you know, not necessarily what Obama was doing, but he represented the certain kind of, you know, uh, hope that in fact, liberalism and a liberal America would help us transcend all the, the things. And, and, you know, Nils Gilman, who wrote the piece at the end, he gets to the point and says that, you know, it, it 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 didn't work out ultimately for any of that. And so now we're at a different sort of crossroads. I guess my question to you is, you know, uh, is what you're describing, you know, uh, the sort of quandary that Obama finds himself that, you know, you and Shadi find yourselves in about, you know, sort of modulating somehow for for uh, public consumption, if you will, um,
1: is that bad? That's a really good question, actually. Um, first, define what you mean by bad, which sounds silly, but we'll get to it. Well,
2: I don't know. Um, okay, is it, is it, uh, is it, uh, how about this? Is it, is it a, not just somehow, is it bad for society and and Whatever progress is, let's just define. Not even like you know, is it is it bad for society? Let me put it that way. Not progress, because I I, I want to bracket that. I'm not sure how I'd even define progress. But let's talk about is it is it bad for uh, for a society functioning that there's that kind of that that's required or at least perceived to be required to a certain extent.
1: Interesting. So that raises. That raises a ton of secondary questions, first of all, um, because it it assumes that we have sort of the same conception of society and the same conception of what the common good is sure. for society. Sure. Um, so let's say, I mean, again, I'm, I'm Catholic. I'm very into the human person uh, and human dignity and the human being um, and our being able to be our full and hu- most human selves. Um, and a society, I think ostensibly requires everybody to at least try in some way to get along to modulate behavior so that society functions. Mm -hmm. Uh, But that shouldn't necessarily mean obscuring yourself, um, having to be false to yourself, having to perhaps lie or hide yourself to please some people. Um, And I think that one of the things that's unfortunate about this sort of modulation in a society is that it often is asked of certain people and not Others, mm-hmm. certain types of modulation are asked of people of color, uh, of women, um, people who are not part of the, if not dominant religion, the dominant practice of religion. Uh, and so perhaps they do not feel free to be their full selves and cannot, you know, partake, um, in society, you know, in possession of their full humanity and their own human dignity. I think that, you know, when I, when I think about, um, these, these sorts of modulations in my experience, um, one of the emotions that I would associate with them is a feeling of smallness, um, of being assumed to be less than I am, or perhaps assume that I should be less than I am, and the respondent being surprised that I'm better than they expected. Like, oh, you're so articulate, means, wow, I thought you and your people couldn't read. <laughs> like, oh, you present so well. I thought you were all idiots, but I guess you're special. I think that's that's really un, undignifying. Yeah, sure, but let me just then follow up on on. So now again,
2: as a white guy, um, don't you react just with contempt when someone's like that? Like, don't you just say, "Well, you're clearly a peasant." Do you know what I mean? <laughs> like, I, I mean, I, I guess, I guess you know, because and maybe this is my, you know undignified Slavic self speaking here, but it's like, when confronted with someone like that, I have nothing but scorn for them. Now, that's not maybe healthy and good for society. And again, I I have more of the freedom to do that, because I'm just a white guy. So I can have that scorn. And I, I get you, right? Like, you, you don't you don't get to have that. But and so this is why I was trying to bracket progress to a certain extent. But I guess what I'm getting at is is, you know, so much of Shadi and I have gone back and forth on this. You know, a, a lot of 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 um, the stuff that seems to annoy people in a lot of ways. Call it, you know, uh, I've said I've done this little anecdote before. Like a coworker of mine at the magazine uh, years ago, when people were talking about trigger warnings and and all this other stuff, and you know, especially on the right, there was like, oh my God, snowflake culture, the rest of this. He, he was actually uh, a Catholic himself, and he said, you know. A lot of this stuff that we're now debating is kind of—it's manners. It's the kind of stuff that just like it's to smooth interactions in a in a in a in a in a a society that's actually less coherent in a lot of ways. So we we impose these kinds of rules and and speech rules, and this is why you know we were discussing about wokeness and a lot of this sort of stuff. And you know, Shadi's very much like I, I don't consider myself. For other reasons, I, I, I'm just, like, not an activist, so a lot of the, the, the kind of positive posturing that, like, we're making a better world doesn't resonate with me. And that kind of, I'm like, I, 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 I bristle at the at what I perceive to be the kind of fakeness of a lot of this stuff, but I don't worry so much about these fights over speech and that sort of. Thing You know, because, I mean,
0: like, yeah, I mean, because they're they're ultimately silly. So, I mean, when it when it comes down to my interlocutors at this reception who said, oh, you're you seem moderate, that's like vaguely offensive and maybe irritating. But to let something like that be a major defining issue or that that makes them bad people, um, they were actually, as far as I could tell, well-intentioned. They just didn't know. They didn't have the right speech patterns. They weren't aware of the rules. And this is when I try to explain to people who aren't part of the moment and the movement what wokeness actually is. And you start to explain it in layman's terms. And I've tried this with my mom over time, over the last couple of months. You sound... You're like, oh my God, I'm describing this. I sound like a crazy person because to anyone who is not initiated, it's all about these um, these obscure rules and patterns that seem like they belong only in a religious cult. That's so, really what this is.
1: So I, I, I think that's a bit of a leap. Um, but actually, I'm going to step back to what, well, what both of you said, actually. So first of all, Demir, I... I actually completely agree with you that in some sense, this is an evolution of manners. I I love manners. Uh, I read well, we this manners regularly. We, we talked about my fascination with the Victorian, Victorian era and yeah. little women before the podcast started rolling. Hopefully that's uh, going to be on the B roll and not oh, included. No. Oh, it'll be
2: included. That's what we're starting what? with. Yeah.
1: I hate this. It's so rude.
2: <laughs> okay. We can, um, we can negotiate later. People will be confused.
1: Um, but, I mean, manners, manners, I think, are important for society because they do, in fact, allow us to live with each other. Uh, so to that extent, like, having manners and manners do evolve over time is important. I do think that, though, you said it yourself when you said, you know, I, you know, I can respond to that by saying, well, like, you're a peasant because, you know, I'm a white guy. And yeah. also, like, you are older than I am. You have, you're, like, establishing your job. Shadi, I think you mentioned this. Um, interaction that you had happened years ago, presumably when you were also less settled in your career. As a youngster. Yeah. And I think that it's important to note that, you know, it's much easier to brush this sort of thing off and say, you're a peasant, I'm going to continue being my fullest, freest, realist self, uh, when you are already stable and in a position of at least some power and some influence. Um, But it is not as hard to sort of brush off or push back on dehumanizing statements when, say, you're a 22-year-old at your first job uh, or your boss, somebody who has the power to hire or fire you, is saying these dehumanizing things. But why is
0: it such a – help me understand this. I mean, if it's happening when you're 22, you're you're a young aspiring person or whatever – an aspiring what? person. Aspiring to personhood.
1: <laughs> I want to be a person when I grow yeah. up. Actually. I'm really looking no, forward but, to it.
0: I mean, and this gets into the debate about microaggressions and I and I wanna be I don't want to be dismissive of the experience for different minority groups. It is different. And I you know, um as a Muslim, as an Arab, as a brown person, the microaggressions I experience are not the same that you know, all that. But I, I do wonder because for me, I think the way that I grew up um, in a much more combative time, there was no presumption that any space would be safe. It was about argument, it was about debate, it was about getting angry. it was messy, and we took pleasure in the messiness of politics um, and i don 't understand this notion of 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 a kind of respecting someone 's like like words are not violence.
1: So, Words can be recovered from. Of course. And I totally agree with you in that sense. I'm not, obviously, I think I'm not saying that, you know, these microaggressions, you know, dehumanize me for life, that I feel like I'm a small person who no longer exists because this happened to me. Like, I'm telling you this. And I, like, I think back on some of these interactions and I I laugh because, like, broadly speaking, they're hilariously inappropriate. Um, but, again, this, I think you you take several leaps. And I think that, Often in this discussion of wokeness or microaggressions and how, you know, stupid and mannered these things are, it's a leap, you know, to say, like, people shouldn't be so sensitive to, you can't say words or violence. It reminds me of, you know, a parent who's like, well, I had to walk to school uphill both ways in the rain and the snow, and if I did it, you should too. It's like, I actually, maybe you could, maybe I could have a raincoat. Like, it's it's not going to make me a worse person for having, like, a, a, like, slightly you know, friendlier, perhaps more mannered life than you. In fact, like that might be good. Um, This is, I think that's where we would
0: take issue because we don't actually think that that actually contributes to the good life. We have major objections to that premise. I mean, we, we believe, you know, I can't speak for Demir or maybe I can, (laughs) I don't know. But, you know, as as, as some, um, I think it actually leads to better outcomes if people become, if they, if they get used to challenging situations where they have to fight back and they learn to fight back effectively instead of feeling that they deserve some kind of... Sp- Um, entitlement or special treatment. So, and then
1: once again here, like, I think, again, you're making a leap, you know, by saying that somebody should not be subject to microaggressions by their boss, I don't actually think that I'm saying that they deserve some sort of entitlement or protection. I think what I'm saying is that they should be treated respectfully, like you would treat any other person who, you know you talk to with manners, as we discussed. Yeah. I mean, I a think boss for I think, sure. I, mean, I think like there's a difference. If you're working in the workplace, yeah, I think. Yeah, of course. Yeah. If you're working in the workplace, if you're at school, if you're existing in the world. But I also think that there is a difference between, you know, a super coddled, woke culture, this sort of thing that like Jonathan Haidt is always railing against, um, which is one thing. And, yeah, just, just being polite to people. I do agree with you. I think that reasoned debate is important, that being able to push back on false arguments is important, that it is important to realize that people will not always understand you, people will not always like you, uh, people will often have radically different ideas than yours, and you should be prepared to encounter people who don't necessarily love you uh, anywhere you go. Like that. That's life. That's fine. Um, but I think... Most people acknowledge that, you know, I, I don't think that anyone, well, let me correct myself. Some people probably are saying that you should be in a safe space where you don't encounter any sort of conflicting opinions, but that is certainly not what I'm saying. Oh, no. No, because no,
0: I mean, you're you're. This is literally. I a mean, I'm on
1: your podcast. Yeah, this, <laughs> yeah. but, the, but I, and I don't actually think that we conflict that much. Or maybe no. we do, but in a friendly way. Oh, totally, because I yeah. like having friends. Well, so so the
2: the, the paradox <laughs> of shoddy. The, the paradox of shoddy for me though is like you know is is um, and maybe we can talk about this a little bit because yes, to please,
0: me, to, talk about the paradox of yeah, shoddy, let's talk as about much shoddy as much as possible. <laughs> talk about me, <laughs> shoddy,
2: shoddy, wow, shoddy, shoddy. The wilderness
1: of his mind. Well, no, no. Look, the the.
2: Here's the question is the paradox, as I see it, is that Shadi is very much into, you know, he likes quoting Chantal Mouffe and talking about agonism and, and, and debate and, Who among and all us? the rest of this. Who among <laughs> us isn't into that? But, but, you know, he's really into that. And, and yet I think what's fascinating, if you like take a step back from the woke wars, is that um, it depends on how you how you're defining the fight. I think our friend mm. Osita actually defines it in a much more authentically agonistic way than Shadi, which is like, you know, power is what you can get away with. So why not try – I mean why is the terrain of, of conflict not the establishment of new mores and social mores and manners if you want? So if that's the terrain that we're fighting on, so why not have like a drawn-out fight about setting new norms because that's what it is. It's just a fight over norms ultimately. And you know what's permissible and what isn't. So that that to me, you know, when you talk about, and this is the interesting thing, like Shadi have talked about this. You know, what's fascinating to me ultimately about the woke stuff is, I end up falling on sort of like the center right thing. So this is like a fight over there, you know, mm-hmm. and and it's interesting to watch, and it's a fight over what's permissible and how the how the discourse is shaped there. But it's a fight. It's an, it's 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 agonistic at its at its at its core. And you know, I think a lot of the critics of the Harper's letter, uh, and I'm not critical of it. I mean, I think it's it's interesting though. Would say that well, we're am. just we're just fighting. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, that's you. You would say that as well, right? It's just like a, it's a fight over 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 a set of norms of like how 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 discourse is shaped, right? But to
0: clarify, like I'm fine with fighting over norms and fighting even for dominance, mm-hmm. but the only way that works is if you don't seek final victory. If you actually want to completely vanquish your ideological opponents, that actually falls outside the agonistic framework, as I understand it, because there has to be... The whole point of agonism is to take the friend-enemy distinction and to turn outright antagonism into something that can be managed in a, in a peaceful democratic context. If Sorry. my opponents are trying to destroy me because they feel that there is only one true progressive answer to a particular question about whatever controversial issue, like um, whatever you want to call them to simplify, like some of the woke people want to completely, they want us to be destroyed. They want, rep- and by us, I Who's mean. Who's us, the, yeah. yeah. But us people, they disagree with on the woke stuff, but that's not the main, I mean, they, they also want to destroy Republicans, which I'm not obviously a part of although they may think i am but, <laughs> but they they want republicans and conservatives to be defeated in some definitive way where they never have a chance of winning again through free and fair elections and that there is only a progressive like there's a new progressive consensus that does not that does not work
1: so uh, so a question here you say that you're interested in sort of breaking down this friend enemy distinction yeah. um and what's interesting in your language just now is that you immediately go to they versus us uh so are you really living that well, principle no, as but, you well as well, you describe it well
0: part part of the principle is to acknowledge that the us versus them is a reality of political life that politics is inherently conflictual we can't avoid that that's our reality the question is what we do with that realization do you then, right, try to but then sideline- demonizing
1: them as an a they who want to destroy us does not actually seem like a, a helpful way of bridging that gap or fostering, you know, useful discussion look, between the two yeah, sides. Well, look, I want to
0: coexist with them and I even want to have them on the podcast, but it's, it's, wow. there's a, there's a kind of,
1: <laughs> <laughs> what, what are you trying to say? Is this, am I an enemy? Uh, no am i the enemy on the actually, pod actually you want to have
0: like full-on like wo like people who are whatever you know more a- along no,
1: but hold on hold on Let- i'm going to slap shoddy with a glove and challenge him to a duel when this podcast is over <laughs> well, just so everyone knows we'll, we'll, do, that.
2: we'll do that on video
0: <laughs> well look i'll just say one more thing before we um just so i don't lose this train of thought it's obviously going to be a very profound thought once i kind of recovered in my mind it's so but- <laughs> good <laughs> But I think there's a fundamental asymmetry here that I think a lot of us, when we think about mainstream institutions, we're like, hey, there can be unwoke people like me or Demir, and we coexist with people who are woke. And we can be in the same institution, the same organization. And I've never thought to myself, well, oh my God, there's a woke person, at the New York Times, let's fire them or let's sideline them. But that favor is not returned because they they look and they say, well, oh, there's two unwoke people at The New York Times like Barry Weiss and two other people. Let's actually marginalize them or better yet, if we can find a way to not have them in our institution, all the better. That suggests to me that something is unequal in this debate. That one side actually seeks a kind of decisive victory where the other side is like, hey, let's just all be in the same institution. You know, we disagree, but I'm here, you're here, whatever. It's not the end of the world.
1: So, I mean, and then to counter that with almost the same argument or rather the anti-argument, I would say that the right— The conservative side does exactly that uh, with anyone liberal or anyone who identifies as a Democrat or even has in the past once identified as a Democrat who tries to enter their ranks uh, very frequently. I would also say working at The Washington Post, a place that I actually feel very lucky to work at, I think it's great. I think that we have a very positive work community. There are many differences of opinion, at least in the opinion section, uh, but we are not going around trying to get each other fired over these differences in opinion, generally. I think that the New York Times, from what I have observed and from what I have discussed with people I know who do work at the Times, um, a good amount of this conflict is just sort of a New York Times problem, uh, a management and personality yeah. problem, it could, in fact, be the case that New York Times employees perhaps don't like certain other New York Times employees because they misrepresent what's going on in private meetings or because they're, you know, not nice people or something else, uh, which then that person may attribute to their anti-woke sensibilities and say that that's why they were fired. That may not, in fact, be the case. Yeah. Um, so I think that, you know, we want to take some of these conflicts with a very large um, grain of salt. Um, But there was a profound point that I was going to make. I'm what, surprised that it would happen. To what you? was it? I would no. I, I actually remember it now. Unlike some unlike of the people, some people, yeah, <laughs> some of the people on this podcast. Um, So I would also say that you know, in this woke's feed non woke's debate that you guys are having, that I disagree with purely on terms. um, I would say that I I also would not necessarily identify myself with um one of these sides per se. Um, in part because I, I also don't think that it's you know appropriate to try and remove or excise from the conversation people who have dissenting views from mine. Um but also because I think that in some ways, at least for the left, um for progressives, for Democrats who are trying to, you know, make systemic change in areas that count, whether it's, you know, trying to find some way to pass universal health care, whether it's to uh, actually create policies that support parents and families, uh, whether it is to try and end systemic racism and lower, you know, the barriers for uh, equality, that this debate on, you know, what are our preferred pronouns? What is a microaggression that happened this one time in this one tiny classroom somewhere? Like, who said what on Twitter and why? And did you misspell my name on purpose or was it a mistake? And who left me off this listserv? is a total sideshow. Yeah. It actually does nothing really to advance the movement on these terms. I mean, one can say, though, of course, that these small shifts in norms and manners do pave the way. Uh, for systemic change, by recognizing these small shifts, we are then able to recognize larger shifts. But you know, I think that things like the Harper's letter, I think that many of the discussions that we're seeing um, online over these like very small, almost do a normal person incomprehensible sort of manners questions just do nothing to advance the real agenda, and so I, I tend to find them. Somewhat of a waste of time.
0: I'll disagree on one point. I think the Harper's Letter should be studied by future generations in every single classroom. At the primary school level, as a
1: waste of wood pulp,
0: to to actually understand the true meaning of free speech. Freedom. Once we enter Why not free into speech,
2: just freedom, or actually, people mission will be,
1: accomplished. Pe- people will be
0: huddled with copies of the letter, like printed from like old, like I don't know, I don't even know how printers work anymore. <laughs> but they they're just gonna like hold these little copies in this like future dystopian. Wow, you know what sounds
1: like a religious cult? Yeah, <laughs> that.
2: So so let me let me just let me ask a. Um, Sort of a related question that's on my mind. I mean, you know, I was bracketing the idea of progress. and I sort of want to sound both of you out on that because I think it's interesting. Again, you know, we're talking about uh, both like the, the 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 agonistic approach and like what's the right what's the right like terrain to to fight this on. Right? Um, what do you guys think is the role of I think Christine, to your point, exactly what you said right uh, it's it's um, a lot of this is a sideshow because the problems are bigger, and you need to build coalitions around this to actually do it i i i I'm really skeptical it sounds like you're somewhat skeptical of it, but I'm really skeptical of this idea that if you reform speech that this you know raises awareness to like bigger problems and that's what it is. It seems like to me that like political change and just change in general society is uh it's it's at the same time a lot less intellectual and a lot less like norm-based. I mean, obviously norms play a role, but it's the problems are, are a lot naughtier and harder and politics is is a nasty bit about compromise ultimately and trying to figure out how to do these sort of things, almost horse trading. And then, you know, however you conceptualize progress in a society, it sort of comes out the end after this sort of like nasty thing. But talk to me a little bit about how you two see the role of ideas in changing things. I mean, you're both writers. I mean, we all sort of write and 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 engage with this stuff. I, I end up personally, like laying my cards on the table, I, I always end up sort of taking the pose, and I think this is why I end up being kind of passive in talking about social change, and maybe it's something why, why I end up sort of more on the right and sort of, you know, more as an observer rather than feeling as an agent of these sorts of changes and things like that. How do you guys approach thinking about, well, even the current moment, um, and then the role of ideas in sort of moving, moving stuff forward? Was that too vague, or, well, or, or can you too- actually
1: say a bit more about why you feel like you're on the sidelines as an editor? I mean, you're a gatekeeper of ideas in in some sense, so you clearly have an influence on what ideas enter the conversation and, and, and how pe- they're shaped.
0: And some people were even talking about you today. I don't. I don't want to get too people much into saying, this, but people shot, are saying, on, saying. <laughs> on, on the interwebs that on maybe Demir Marushik should be um, one of the moderators for the presidential debates. Oh my gosh, people said that about me too. Look, you know,
2: people... No,
1: it's true. <laughs> no, but the
2: people saying it for me is shoddy. So I, real people are saying it for you. But like...
1: Tamir, let's moderate Let's moderate together. Debate. That would be incredible. You know, we can
2: actually do a podcast maybe where like we can actually live moderate as it's on TV. I That'd love be actually pretty it. I love it.
0: Up. I thought you were going to say we should have a podcast with Trump
2: <laughs> and Biden. Let's <laughs> also do here. that. That would be pretty sweet. Well, well, anyway, anyway, but, it would be yeah, horrible. Um, but hold on. You were saying... Uh, uh, what am I? Um, why? Why do I have the, the the passive view on it? Okay, so as an editor and um, look, the weird thing about the American Interest is that very broadly we're not aligned in in like politics, left or right. So
1: I thought you were going to say few Americans were interested in it. <laughs> <laughs> you can delete. <laughs> But no, but i cut this. No, no, <laughs> not at all. Not at
2: all. It's a, it's a fine point because the thing is the thing about it is is that like that's actually one of the things as even we we discuss like To be clear, know,
1: that was a joke. I think many Americans are interested. No,
2: no, no, no. Listen, Christine, it's actually the, the the interesting point about that is is that I think a publication does a lot better when it, it aligns itself on a side properly and then you create a team around it and you can you can run with it. One of the yeah. the great weaknesses and I, you know, I certainly talk about this a lot. Uh, you know, not necessarily on podcasts, but in general is, is that uh, it's a real challenge and has been a real challenge. So, but at the same time, as an editor facing like, you know, an essay or anything like that, I end up, you know, uh, I think trying to engage on it on its own terms and trying to make the argument better that the author wants to make. The judgment for what makes it or doesn't, I mean, if it's just like completely, like poorly structured and crack pottery, we don't run it we've run people center left and center right and trying to sort of create like a broad center that's been the sort of the, the goal of the magazine for a long time so as a gatekeeper i don't know you know it's funny it's it's it ends up being partly people you hear and you bring into the magazine and you think they're they're smart and have something to add uh And it's partly network effects is the other thing. It's, it's who you know and who you end up socializing. And that's also part of being an editor and part of being a publication is you create a community around you and you then sort of cultivate it, whatever for good or for ill for that is. So what's my criteria for that? It's not, it's not, it's not one of progress and it's not one of changing society. At least for me as an editor, it's never been that it's been, huh, that's interesting. Uh, I hadn't thought of it that way. That's one thing. Um, and it's interesting that like – now that you push me on it, it's like what's the, what's the criterion of truth? I'm not sure – like I'll publish something that is implausible to me, but I think the argument is one of like does this sort of make sense? Does it pass the smell test? Whereas at the, the very bottom of it is a question of this is all rhetoric that's trying to explain something that is perhaps not reducible to a truth.
1: So you do make the judgment, though, that certain things are oh, sure. true and not true? No,
2: no. Or? No. I would say I make the judgment that it's plausible.
1: Plausible. Not okay. true.
2: Plausible. Sure. And understanding that, that any one of these things is an attempt at describing an underlying thing that is contested.
1: Okay. Interesting. So, so um to your point about the American interest and the number of Americans interested yeah. in it, uh-huh. um, actually, I, I strongly relate to that, um, mm. in, in that we have discussed my leanings or non-leanings or mixed leanings such as, as they are. Um, I've noticed this myself in the, in the current media industry, um, as a columnist, also as an editor who tries to commission pieces from people that other people will read, there, You know, taking a side, um, having that spicy piping hot take, um, being easily identified, uh, is, I was going to say it's a virtue. I think it's not a virtue, uh, but it's certainly something that sells. And I think, you know, for me, when I try to write, when I write, even when I tweet, I, I often avoid the hot takes. Um, I've frequently defined my Twitter feed as, as lukewarm takes, um, because I don't think that they are necessarily useful or valuable. Um, I think that ideas are something that one should think about, turn over in one's mind, taste on the tongue before pronouncing something true or not true, even plausible or implausible. Uh, and taking that time and trying to be judicious um, tends to mean that you tweet less um, and have you know less, fewer hot takes. Um, and that is in this climate actually, if you want to be sort of, you know, a popular figure, a liability because we have these demands of you know, a constant exciting news cycle where you have something to say about everything uh, and you always have something to say, you're always on. I think that I mean I, I both write and I edit and I find I find writing somewhat more difficult or more of a challenge, solely, I think, because it is really a personal exposure, you know, right? Like these are, you are thinking about a problem, you have an idea, you write about the idea, you could be wrong, and then your name is on it. Whereas in editing, you are sort of working to shape other people's work, and you are helping them to be better, but ultimately, it's their piece. Um, But when I think about the work that I do as a writer, and also what I try to do as an editor, I do think that the role of a responsible member of the media is to... Try and give some, give people something to think about and help them help to give a path to actual thought, if that makes sense. Not necessarily delivering a take on something, but saying, I think this is actually maybe what you were saying. Here's an idea that is at least somewhat plausible. Have you thought about it in this way? Here's a way to think about this. Here's an interpretation of what is going on in this moment to help you better understand how this relates to human life and the human condition and like perhaps some things that you should think about. Um, I think that that's my role as an editor and as a writer. I think the skills that it takes in those two roles tend to be a little bit different. And you do have to be, especially as an editor, very judicious in what you assume to be a plausible idea and also the road that you offer for people to think about it
0: well so it sounds like we have actually quite a bit of agreement and correct me if i'm wrong but um demir and i or just me speak for <laughs> yourself <Shadi.
1: laughs> the profound so
0: um, so i don't i don't see there are things that i want to see changed that I care deeply about, that have to do more with the Middle East and democratization in the region. And that's sort of, um, that's my academic background. It's important to me for complex reasons. But anyway, um, but I think that when it comes to the podcast, when it comes to what I write, um, that it's less about producing good substantive outcomes. And it's more about precisely what you alluded to, this idea of here here are different plausible ideas or possibilities and they are worth discussing. But the goal, I think, is to try to figure out why we believe the things that we believe. So what I like to do, what I think we do a lot on the podcast is we're very explicit about what our starting premises are. And I think we, we're trying to get at what is the foundation for the ideas that we end up having? So if there are policy disagreements between Demir and I, it's not interesting to me to talk about the policy disagreement. What's interesting to me is to go like back through the chain to the very start to the bit. Like, why is it that Demir and I are similar in some ways, but quite different in others? We have profound disagreements on foreign policy. And that it—that's not because that's because, as I've found out over time, Demir's priors on certain questions about morality, America's role, universalism, diverge from mine. But once we realize that we diverge on those priors, the goal isn't for me to convince Demir that I'm right and he's wrong. What is preferable, I think, is to say he has legitimate reasons for having different moral starting premises than than I do. And we can sit with that. We can linger with that. And we can we can actually appreciate where the other is coming on on, on these particular points. And that's enough. There there is no resolution. There is no end point. There is no persuasion.
1: So Oh well, I was—I was just going to say that sounds all very woke and multicultural, and let's let's appreciate our differences. To well, me, Shadi. Mean, <laughs> um, so who's who's woke now? No, no, no. Look, but so so look. Um, here, but, go on. For, go ahead. For, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, but I, I, I actually do think that we have we have a lot of agreement here. Um, I think that though this this also presupposes I think you and Demir are you know friends. In part because you are, in fact, like-minded and you do have very similar priors. I think that one thing that you know, <laughs> one, well, something there, there is, there's, there's things, some, yeah, there's some kinship sure. there. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I, I also think that if we are people in the world interacting with people who don't agree with us, um, you know, there, are, there are also, I think, I'm. So I should also clarify that I am an opinion writer. Um, I am not on the news side. I'm not yeah. presenting unbiased news. Like I, I have a point of view about what the common good is and what we should be uh, moving towards. So, in fact, I do have an right, ideology of that. progress in some sense. Right. Um, I think also that some ideas may be, in fact, wrong um, or pernicious. Um, and I also think that one of the roles of A writer and an editor in my position if that is the case is to identify where I think some of these things have gone wrong and like what what is happening here why do we uh, think of things in the way that we do right or wrong and should they be changed and why how should we orient ourselves around certain questions um giving clues to like who might have the right idea about this, whether it's identifying like this is a thing that people should read, this is a policy that has been proposed that is actually helpful towards this idea of the Well good. let me
0: push you on the distinction between something being wrong and something being pernicious. I actually think most ideas are wrong if they're not my own, presumably. <laughs> uh, that's a joke. But uh, <laughs> no it's not. not. <laughs> But where where I'm very uncomfortable is deeming any particular idea to be pernicious with the exception of ideas that are clearly, explicitly, and in a consensual manner beyond the pale. That if we all come to the agreement that certain things we've moved past and they are actually – they are not to be relitigated. So, for example, if someone came to me and said slavery is right or moral – that is beyond the pale. That is pernicious. We don't want to. That person does not deserve a platform.
1: What about? And, well, so to interrupt you there, though, like that that distinction, unfortunately, is not such a bright line. So, sure, saying if somebody came to you and said we should reinstitute slavery, you would say, yeah, no, we're we're not going to do that. Actually, but I bring but, up the example because only are,
0: things that are extremely clear and obvious, and we all agree that is that's settled. Okay, but, but most so- ideas are unsettled and most debates today are unsettled and therefore I I don't for the most part I don't want to call any idea that is in the debate with very few exceptions pernicious.
1: Okay, so slavery an idea that's settled. So I mean it's it's in the air always, but especially right now, ideas about race and racism and um you know, the varying intelligence and usefulness of certain races. What about the idea, say, that people of color are kind of violent and a little bit stupid? Like maybe slavery was, you know, slavery is bad, obviously. Um, but, you know, some of these people can't control themselves. And, you know, it's it's an unfortunate thing, but we all have to admit that. That's not saying, obviously, that we should go back to slavery. But, you know, if you follow this idea to its... uh Conclusion: You one might conclude that slavery wasn't like the worst thing to have happened. That's, would you say that an idea like that that's pernicious is pernicious? Because that sounds yes. to me. So
0: I would also put white supremacy in the category of perniciousness. That if someone is an avowed. An open racist and/or white supremacist, but that said, but
1: what is an avowed and open? So, like somebody has to it. be like flying a Klan flag for you to be like, up oh, that guy. If someone he's a says racist. straight up, black
0: people are inferior, that person has gone beyond the pale. <laughs> and if and a person settled. and
1: if a person doesn't say straight up that black people are inferior, but they say, it, as in a, a piece by a, a popular conservative writer who I know uh, this morning wrote that. The only reason that George Floyd died was George Floyd. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, we were discussing w- that earlier. What is that? Um, what does that mean? Is that I'm just okay, an look, idea I'll that just, we sit with and are just like, well, that's, look, I'll that's say, an idea.
0: Look, I mean, that's actually a very good example because Rod, um, he's Fair. not a close friend, but he's a friend. And I think oh, he might be a friend of yours as well. And... Um, I've enjoyed debating and discussing things with him. I think I've learned a lot from him, from his book, The Benedict Option, and so on and so forth. Um, I gave
1: it a glowing review. You did? I did. Oh. I wrote about it when it came out. Okay.
0: So look, when I saw that post, I was like, oh boy. Um, that's not, like, this was a mistake. I mean, there's, he, sh- he shouldn't have written that. I mean, I don't think, um... I don't know what to say about it, except that some people get things wrong sometimes. Do um, I—is that idea pernicious? Perhaps, yes. But does that mean that the person espousing the idea is pernicious? No. Of course. I don't think—I want to be able to distinguish between the sin and the sinner, and we should all be very careful about doing that. I don't think he should be canceled. I don't think that people should— make judgments about his human person, the kind of being that he is, and his own—whether he's a bad Christian and his relationship with God. If people are getting into those kinds of questions, I think that is actually off-limits. That
1: Well, is
0: not what we should be discussing. We should look at the merits and say, that was a bad argument. He made a mistake. Okay,
1: but I mean— Sorry, this is, this is a tangent, but I actually think that this is a really interesting case study yeah. for, for a variety of reasons. Um, so again, I think we're making a little bit of a leap here. I'm not sure that most people are saying, you know, Rod Dreher is completely cancelled. He needs to be thrown off the face of the earth and never write again because he wrote a post. Obviously, like, people can write things, um, that are wrong. And they also sometimes write things that are good and then they write a thing that's bad. And like, they, people can do both of those things. Um, but when you also weigh someone's ideas, you say that it should not be up for debate whether, you know, he's a good Christian or a bad Christian or representing this or representing that. I think one could say that if you style yourself a, a defender of Christianity, an Orthodox Christian representing Christianity in the public square, and then you write and say things that are, you know, distinctly opposite to say what Jesus Christ would actually say— it is fair for the public to whom you have styled yourself as a Christian to wonder: Is he actually a good representative of Christianity? I think that's a fair I mean, question to He's not to like ask. Jesus.
0: I mean, you're 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 right in this particular sense that, and this shows that even people who think they're good Christians who or who want to be good Christians are, in some sense. Um, flawed and and broken, and you can see the brokenness in in how in how they fall short of certain Christian ideals. Of
1: course, but we're not talking. But I mean, I think that that's a separate question. Like, is Rod a good? Qu- Christian is like not the question that I think that we need to have. I think we agree on that. But I think it's fair to ask, you know, does this actually represent how Christianity is understood in America today? Is his representation of what Christianity is to be trusted as a Christian representation in the public square? Like there are many valid questions to be had here. But I think we can also say, like, this is a bad idea. We don't need to continue sharing this idea. Well, can I can I pull you back though
2: from this this moralizing thing? And this is I mean, we, we went back a little bit on chatting on this sort of stuff. But I like, love
1: morals. No, that's how, fine. How dare you? No,
2: no, no. Listen. This
1: podcast but, is the Antichrist. Yeah,
2: it is the Antichrist. Cancel it. Cancel <laughs> it. Cancel it theologically <laughs> somehow. No, but listen, I, I it's it's so so I read it. I don't know Rod, never met the guy. I mean, not, you did I'm, say
0: what was said, just so our, our listeners who may not have read it, they, you did say a brief part of what he said.
2: Oh, yeah. I mean, that 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 uh, George Floyd died because of George Floyd. That was the headline that he he put I, on the piece yeah, and then I, changed it, right? I mean, right. I don't know I, what the, I the I details were. I think I can pull up the original headline. F- yeah, I think it was he, something
1: like the only reason that George Floyd is dead is George, George Floyd, Floyd or something along those lines. And then he
2: apologized lines. for the headline, but you know what I mean? But like, not really. Come but on. for me, <laughs> no, 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 but, but, but I'm not about to make an apology for it. I mean, like, here's the thing. The, 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 the idiot judgment on the headline, but even more, the, the fundamental premise of it was either he's an idiot personally, I think, like by his own rationale, he's a fool or, or he, he, uh, he's just dishonest about it because here's the thing. And this is – this gets to the the core of it for me. Like he's like, well, you know, I was led to believe by like paying attention to the debate on all of this stuff that it was a clear cut like absolutely obvious case of just, you know, uh murderous racism that led to this. Like – Listen, shithead. Obviously, it's complicated. The That's world the is complicated. Other name for the
1: podcast. Yeah,
2: listen, shithead. <laughs> it is no, but seriously, but, I mean, it's it's like a level of naivete, like that. This was clearly a moral case from the beginning, and therefore now he's opened his eyes because he saw this clip and he sees the inverse moral case. Now, that means he's a moral idiot to me. And so actually, but
1: well, so I will just quickly note that this is also, I think, one of the, one of the key roles of a responsible writer and or editor is to give people information and also frame the situation in a way that it can be understood that like X is the question. Y, Z, A, B, C, and D are the things that surrounded the question. Here are some ways to think about this Precisely. that are not stupid. Precisely. And, and 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 I mean And also when you know people put forward ideas that are stupid, you say, this is a stupid way of thinking about it. Sure. Don't do that. Here are the other ways no, to think sure, about sure. it.
2: Oh, sure, sure. I <laughs> agree with that. But my point my point on this is, is that like I mean, he has no editor. Like this is one of the, the things that, that bloggers end up doing. I Andrew Sullivan himself, who like I've met a few times and I, I generally but I remember I, I said to Sean. This morning, this reminded me of Andrew Sullivan and his worst, ultimately, which is like this unfiltered sort of stuff. It's like he feels like he's getting on some sort of moral high horse. It's not nuanced at all. But that shouldn't undo
0: Andrew Sullivan at his best or Rod Dreher at his best. But and it hasn't where,
1: undone them. Like, right, that's but, the but thing. So people,
0: people contain multitudes. So Rod is capable of writing. Really bad things and also really good things. I and don't the care same.
1: about Rod, the okay. person.
2: Okay. I just don't. <laughs> but like, <laughs> I really don't. I like I, a I actually do, though. Okay, you <laughs> guys do. But <laughs> I mean, and, but I, but
1: I, but, but I also think that this is also, I think, and this is the fundamental misconception that I want to continue to push back against in this definition of the wokes and the non-wokes. Like, there is this, there's this jump from my criticizing this extremely bad post from Rod Dreher, who Unfortunately, has a history of extremely bad posts, but also writes good things sometimes, too. That my saying, this pose is extremely bad, means that I am canceling him, throwing him into the outer darkness. People, He's a terrible person. But some people person. would
0: want that. That's precisely... And I think that
1: some people would want that, but I'm not entirely sure that you can uh tar the entirety of people who are worried about, say, microaggressions or even pronouns with a brush of, you know, fascists who want to throw anybody who has ever made a mistake before to the outer darkness. I think when you jump from saying some people are concerned about being woke and it's like kind of annoying to some people want to destroy us and if you say the wrong thing, you will immediately be cast out. I think that there is a large middle Um, Here and in this debate, I think there are a lot of people who are somewhere in between those two poles. And actually, it makes the conversation worse by imposing this, you know, forced, forced knife in between the two sides. Like there, if we want to talk about and have agreements and continue to debate in a real sense, we also have to acknowledge that there are, in fact, many people willing to debate. You can't just identify the angels and the demons and say that you're an angel and everyone else is a demon, right? You have to... If you want to give space for everyone to have, you know, a profusion of ideas that are sometimes bad and sometimes good, you should also allow that for the other side. Not just say that they're, you know, idea and power-driven killers who want to destroy oh, okay. you. <laughs>
0: I don't think that's quite what uh, any of us
2: have. Okay, but that—that's not what. Well, no, I mean, but that, look, but <laughs> so, okay, but just getting back to the thing again. And and what uh, was the thing? The thing. The thing is 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 ultimately, um, and. We are running out of time. So let's just like get on this oh, question. Crap. We of, could do this forever. We could. I mean, we'll, we'll have Christine on like every week now because this is great. But like, honestly, I mean, it's it's the question, again, let me just try and get you guys back onto it. Because it was interesting listening both of you get on the question of like, Rod Dreher's moral worth, I, I, again, I don't, not only do I not know him, I don't care. <laughs> ultimately, as I, I don't care about what, what, like whether he's a good or bad person and whether he gets canceled to me, that's the other thing about like where I, I think, you know, you're, you're saying that, and I think even you, Christine, think I'm, I'm in a different place on the woke wars than that. I ultimately, if someone gets canceled, that doesn't bother me so much. Ultimately, I think it's, it's, you have to. Obviously, it's it's a change. It's a fight for institutions and the rest of that. But let, let's bracket that because again, it, it gets to the question of: so Rod writes a stupid thing. Um, is it emblematic of uh, broader views on race? Clearly, um, does and I guess that's the question for me to both of you is: so how do how does what is the fight for? Progress, however, you again define it, what is the role of ideas? Is the fight over like a dumb thing like this? Like, what are the the parameters of it, and how much do you really think that change happens on this plateau of ideas again? Well, and and to me, you know, especially because of the the, the current moment, because uh, after George Floyd's uh, killing, we're talking about race relations in a way that you know in a much more broad and mainstream way. There's a lot of optimism among most of my progressive friends that this is, this, these are the first steps to meaningful change. I'm deeply skeptical. I, I'm deeply, deeply skeptical of this, and I, I feel like there's a lot of self-congratulatory bullshit around this because we're like we're changing things because we're changing the discourse and raising awareness. I think that's horseshit. Like, like, uh, like a profound level of self-delusion on this. That's not how meaningful stuff happens. And the role of ideas, especially around intellectuals, is greatly overstated.
1: What, the, how do you think that change happens? Actually, what is what is your idea of the role of ideas? Before we toss this to and, and if I
2: could add
0: to that, the role of ideas is important insofar as it helps to explain why why Rod might write something like this. Um, so I think you know to also give credit to one of our book club members. I mean Samuel was making this point in a in a group chat earlier. Um, I hope we can like quote group chats. Well, not all <laughs> wow. of them, obviously. Wow. No, but like I think I'm drawing on his insights because I think it's a really important one that I 100% agree with, which is you can't understand what people like Rod Dreher and Patrick Janine and Adrian Vermeule, these Christian conservatives are writing. They're in this mode of cultural fear. Whether um, we might think it's silly that white christian men feel like they're under constant assault but they they are in this mode of feeling like like a lot is being taken away from them and that christianity is under attack and they see every debate in the context of a war about culture where it is you know to some extent zero sum so everything is filtered through that and i think it's it's you can't really understand what's going on when people are confused with, wait, what's going on with Patrick Denineen? He seems to be like getting a little bit more intense and aggressive about certain debates and all that. Well, I think it's important instead of judging and condemning as a first as a first impulse to say what is what is the ideological or ideational context in which they're operating that pushes them to take. Positions they otherwise wouldn't take. That, to me, is the more interesting question.
1: So just a, a side note, because talking about uh, exposing various people's group chats, I'll just note for posterity, because I found this useful, in a separate group chat that I had, we were talking about what exactly are the culture wars, uh, and a friend of mine noted that the culture wars, uh, in the definition of the person who defined, I think, the the word um, or the phrase culture wars, um, there are wars over definitions and meta-narratives and rules in which there is little to no common ground to be had. So this is a this is a discussion about the shared meaning of things and shared language. So like you you really can't disagree. If you disagree, like you are fundamentally changing the rules. And so that is that is frightening for people. So I, I mean I absolutely I absolutely agree with you um, that <laughs> many of these white christian men feel feel nebulously threatened by the changing of some rules and in some ways maybe perhaps that is a realistic threat and that like rules are real so there is things. some worth
0: in acknowledge like at least uh, trying to understand even if we fundamentally disagree to try to understand why they feel under attack there, is that le- that's is, legitimate yeah
1: absolutely i think that there is there is a use to trying to understand why people feel under attack i think the role of ideas uh, and the role of one of the many roles of writers discussing ideas, though, is to present these ideas that are sort of floating around in the ether that have not, in fact, been clearly defined, even by those who are imbibing them, uh, and whose antecedents have not been clearly defined, and say, this is an idea that you seem to have absorbed from somewhere. This is where it comes from. And if you follow this idea to a conclusion, this is where it goes are you sure that you That's want to have to identify yourself totally with this idea? Do you actually agree with this, the whole spectrum of this idea? Or did you just somehow end up in this idea? Like, have you, th- have you thought about this? Uh, and I honestly, actually, I think that is, that is writing, that is the sort of writing that I try and do frequently, not necessarily like, I have an idea, it's the correct one, you have to believe it, everybody else is an idiot, which is the hot take mode, but just the sort of like, maybe let's think about where this came from, and where it's going are you sure you want to do that? I'm saying that and I'm imagining like Clippy from Microsoft Word being, are you sure you want to to identify yourself with that? (laughs) Um, Like, just maybe maybe think about this a little. And like, here are some priors that I personally have that would say that this idea is either, like maybe a could be a good or beneficial or correct one and like, or maybe this one's negative, pernicious, bad should be abandoned. Just like, are you sure about that? Um, And yeah, unfortunately that, doesn't necessarily lend itself to always the 750 word newspaper column format or the 180 to 240 character sexy tweet. But I think that that is the duty of a thinking person who's been given a platform. I would also say though, that it's your question about canceling people and making them lose their jobs, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I don't, I do not think that it is appropriate in the United States of America, a place where we don't have healthcare except when tied to our jobs, where the capitalist system is so strong that being unemployed is in some ways a fate near to or could lead to death, uh, that we should throw people out of their jobs or careers willy-nilly because of one bad or wrong idea that they had. I think that that sort of cancellation is a problem. I, completely understand why people are afraid of that. I think oh, it's that's extremely just work around to make <laughs> extremely the case. Unfair. So I'm, gonna, I'm gonna use this. I, this is I good. also I also think that having, you know, a, a grand platform as a journalist, a columnist, an ideas person who is paid to think is a real privilege. I feel really lucky to have that. I don't think that people should take it for granted or use it to say things that they know are cruel or stupid or mean. Um, I think you should, you know, respect the vocation and the role that you've been given. Um, I think people could be smarter both ways. And I am i would also say that I am no exemplar. But, you know, i I do think no. that some of this, wow, like... I've been canceled. It means that I can't go to Aspen this year. It's like I'm. I'm so sorry. <laughs> like you seem fine. No actually. one's going to Aspen anymore. <laughs> I. Well, you tell me. No I know. virtual Aspen. No. <laughs> like, yeah, Zoo, like Aspen, literally, no one's going. The Aspen going Ideas to Aspen Festival anymore. didn't
0: happen this year. I think for the first time wow. since its founding. Sad. What a
1: shame. Sad. I didn't know about that. They no, I mean shoddy. like
0: obviously they did not hold it in Aspen because that's in like a. Were it's you in invited,
1: a... Demir? Because like, no, nobody no, no. nobody told me that it was no, canceled. No, while. no, no. I, no, no. I didn't get did not... a
0: virtual forum or something. <laughs> Demir doesn't get invited to the Aspen Ideas no, Festival. No, no, no. I don't get invited anywhere. <laughs> anyway christine this was oh, awesome
2: oh my god yeah it's over oh,
0: it's what? over is Sean. It over i honestly okay we, we have a birthday party we have to go to that's why we're cutting you're it going short. to a
1: birthday party right now <laughs> in this economy
0: yeah, yeah. with this, wait, pandemic? In this economy wait yeah. you can't have birthday parties Am I in, I in a bad economy to the you want to come <laughs>
2: come
1: along should we cut off the podcast
0: <laughs> no the people love this shit <laughs> yeah No, No. because it makes no. Because like we're just like friends hanging out. That's literally what this podcast is. No,
1: just shooting the shit, making fun of Shadi.
0: That's it. No, 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 no. Yes, on that note. (laughs) 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 All right, guys, a real pleasure. Talk soon. Bye, Christine. Bye. Thanks for coming.